welcome back with another episode of Tales from the Crew with our very special guest today, Michael J. Gallagher, director, writer, extraordinaire. I can't say enough good things about this guy. Just so honored to have him part of this podcast. Wow, thank you for that lovely introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was on Broadway. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm just, you know, feeling the love right now in the room. It's, it's like cut it with a knife. <laughs> There's so much love. That's so much. It's suffocating. <laughs> I can't breathe. <laughs> Thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm a longtime listener. I've heard every episode, all one of them. <laughs> and I'm excited to be, is that my guest number two? You were officially guest number two. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad to be second in your heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, listen, uh, stuntmans are more exciting than directors, so... Ryan Sturz is a very handsome man, and He's I understand. Handsome man. I understand. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah. And he could kill me in a single blow. <laughs> <laughs> I think two of us at once. <laughs> He's a soft talker, but a heavy hitter. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Don't... Yeah, yeah, the voice hides a lot. It does. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you got a, f- a movie coming out this Friday, Funny Story. We got a movie coming out. We have a movie coming out, that's correct. Funny Story, theaters, digital, VOD. Anywhere you can get a movie, you can get Funny Story. And you really need to see this movie because it's something very special. Yeah, it's very different for us. Um, I mean, we've been working and kind of doing uh, like sort of youth-focused content, young adult stuff, and this is a story that's you know, kind of more mature, more in like that Alexander Payne sort of vein. And um, I think it's uh, it's a movie that we've played at a lot of film festivals that's done really well, it's resonated with people, and yeah, it's just a totally different gear for us. So I'm excited for more people to see it. Yeah, it was definitely like a change of pace for you as a director, uh, going from all the, the YA stuff and, you know, uh, coming out of YouTube, really just focusing on uh, making stuff for an online audience. And, you know, uh, what is sort of the audience that you're really hoping will receive this film? Is it kind of a wide net or? Yeah, well, you know, it's a it's a movie that's about good people who do bad things. You know, it's a, it's a movie about forgiveness and it's kind of asking some tough questions. Of, you know, can we forgive the people that hurt us the most? And the movie is sort of multi-generational and it follows, um, you know, this character Walter Campbell, who's played by Matthew Glaive, who gives this amazing performance. He's a, an aging heartthrob who um, has been sort of disconnected from his family. And he's trying to make amends, he's trying to kind of be a better person, but in, in that pursuit, he ends up kind of making uh, his daughter's life <laughs> worse off than before. <laughs> um, and then it also follows uh, this character, Kim, uh, played by Emily Bettregards from uh, Arrow, and she gives a phenomenal performance. She is, um, you know, she's kind of going through a quarter-life crisis. You know, her mom just passed away, and, and she's kind of trying to find meaning in her life. And her and Walter sort of meet. Uh, he's having a midlife crisis. She's having a quarter life crisis. And the two of them just sort of wreak havoc on everyone in their path. So I think it, from from showing it to people, it's really it's resonated with a wide spectrum. But I think um, people who you know kids who are maybe in a broken family whose parents have separated, I think will it'll resonate with them. And then also uh, people who've maybe had a few marriages, had, you know, adult children who've had complicated relationships with their families, I think they'll they'll see a lot of um, their own life projected. <laughs> for better or for worse. It's either you are a Walter, you know a Walter, you've been fucked over by a Walter, 
or you're trying not to be a wolf. Yeah, I think uh, one direct example of that is uh, our insurance broker uh, on the movie. I remember like he wanted to take a look at uh, the script before really sitting it out and trying to you know make an assessment on the cost for insurance and understanding what's involved in the filmmaking. And he was so moved by the screenplay. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but it might have been like 10, 20 years since he talked to his daughter. But he, after the script, he picked up his phone and called his daughter and said, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the movie inspires people to uh, reconnect. So that's, that's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, that's why we made it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's your uh, general process you know, uh, going, going into funny story, you know? Um, yeah, like how did it come, where did it come from? Yeah, and, and you're you know in terms of like uh, as a director, you know I I know that you know obviously each film is different, each project is different. What was the the general uh, thought process behind how to you know really tackle the story of funny story? Yeah, well the the story um, kind of came in an interesting way. You know we had done. Uh, you know, we'd done the, the thinning films, we had done Internet Famous, uh, all this YouTube stuff, Smiley, and it was like all these things that were sort of geared for, you know, sort of a digital first audience um, and, and in genres that we thought were kind of more marketable, you know, to get financed and all these things. Um, but uh, with Funny Story, I, you know, I grew up watching, you know, more, I guess you call them art films, you call them more like independent dramedies and things. You know, Alexander Payne's one of my favorite directors, but also, like, Mike Nichols with The Graduate, and, and even, um, like, Nancy Myers movies with, like, com you know, comedies about, um, you know, people in a certain stage in life trying to make sense of things. Um, and so I really wanted to, you know, make a movie like that. And I was so inspired by, like, the Duplasses of the world and, you know, Joe Swanberg and people who were just, like, making indie movies. They were just going out and, like, you know, just with their friends and, and you know, indie film community and just kind of going and... and telling personal stories and they weren't really focused on the results of it. They were really just trying to make a, a story that resonated, that mattered to them and just put it out in the world and see what happens. And so I was really inspired by that approach. So I remember Jana and I, we had just watched a Joe Swanberg movie and it was kind of like, we had this weird epiphany that, you know, you don't necessarily need a huge high concept to, to, to make a movie that resonates. You can you can just have these authentic characters and kind of put them in the mix and, and follow them. And that will, will be the, you know, that can be the driving force. And so we started having a conversation. It was like, well, what's, what's something that we could, um, you know, kind of put together that, that wouldn't cost an arm and a leg, but could, you know, really focus on characters. And we thought about, you know, what if, you know, you do this complicated, uh, <laughs> you, you do a messy movie about, um, a guy who's having a midlife crisis and a girl who's having a quarter-life crisis and they're stuck together. <laughs> and how do you get them together? So it kind of started with that seed. Ah. And then we sort of worked backwards. And, you know, Walter, he's sort of based on a, a lot of men in their 50s that I know. You know, we know a ton of actors that we've worked with in L.A. who, you know, in pursuit of fame and fortune have kind of left a little bit of wreckage behind with their families and then also, you know, with my own dad, who I was, you know, not necessarily estranged, but we had a tough relationship for a few years. And uh, so it's like a combination of those two things. I felt like I had a good handle on um, this sort of Walter character. And it was kind of a, an interesting exercise to step into that um, kind of mindset and, and write from the perspective of someone who's not trying to do harm, but ends up doing harm to people. Yeah, it's like he almost can't get past himself. 
Exactly. In a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, and I think most people, like, we're just living our life. We're not, we don't necessarily think our actions are affecting all these other people. We're just sort of doing our thing. But um, we wanted to show that our actions absolutely have consequences. Especially direct consequences with family members, even when they're not close by. Yeah, I mean, just, uh, it's it's hard because I think there's like this sort of unspoken bond between parents and their children, um, of like the children wanting so much from their parents. Like they, they look up to their parents like uh, they're their gods, you know, they created, you know, parents created the children. So it's literally as a child, you look up and you're like, my parents are God. They've, you know, they made me, they've, they've given me everything. And then it's that sort of process of seeing that, oh no, they're human. They fuck up. They, yeah. <laughs> they have flaws. It's like, there's this weird like moment where you start to come of age and realize that, oh, they're real, just, they're just people. They were just kids when they had us and they're just trying to figure it out. Yeah. And it's like this level uh, or this, uh, crossroads for a kid, I guess, where it's, uh, they go from deciding whether they want to be disappointed in yeah. their parents or they accept that their parents <laughs> are also human and they have an adult relationship with their parents. And I, that's a, I feel like a defining moment for a lot of, you know, parent and child relationships. Yeah, and the movie's kind of tackling that uncomfortable, messy sort of gray zone of like going from idealizing your parent to seeing that they're human and trying to accept them for who they are. And I think that's a process we all go through. Sometimes it's easier than others. Sometimes the you know the parents don't make it super easy <laughs> for us to do that by their actions. So the movie kind of like gets in the weeds on all those fun topics. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a hilarious movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> You're gonna laugh your ass off. <laughs> yeah. No. It's well. It's fun to watch Walter um, be put in these really tough predicaments and see how he's gonna wiggle out of them because we we running through the ringer in this one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just such a phenomenal performance from Matt Glaive. I mean, it was like, yeah, he took the words from the script and really just embodied it and turned it into this very unique character that was just so fascinating and amazing to watch. And, you know, I think from, uh, from that strength of his character really fed into some of the other characters and really created these, like, amazingly dynamic scenes. Yeah, well, you know, Matt has been, he's been acting for, I don't know, I don't know what the exact amount of decades, but it's been like 30 years or something where he's just been like year after year just killing it in, you know, supporting roles and, and, and leads and playing just, um, he, he's really been sort of specialized in playing sort of jerks and assholes and tough guys and badasses and, you know, he has, you know, he has that sort of, um, that look to him. But he's the nicest guy in the entire world. And he has two daughters. And he's a great father. So he's like nothing like this character. But he has an edge to him. And I thought if we can tap into that, but also tap into the side we don't see that often, which is the charm and just the love that he has, that he just is part of his nature, then I think we can make a really dynamic movie here. Yeah. And that, that really comes across. You know, I think that's something that uh, when I would talk to Matt, it really... Uh, the character really kind of brought, surfaced his personal feelings to his own family and the struggle of really uh, identifying himself as a father, you know, in comparison or, or, you know, while playing this character. It really brought a lot of thoughts out of him. Yeah, he's, um, I mean, it's, it's really, it's something to see because he, he's so effortless and so natural when he's on camera. Uh, you know, it's all, uh, he's stuck really close to the script. Um, there wasn't a ton of improv in this movie, 
but the way he performs it, you'd think that he just made everything up on the spot. Like, it was completely improvised. Like, he's that good. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Sometimes you watch a movie, and it's like, I feel like I'm watching a play. Like, right. <laughs> and everyone's just performing. There's just this one-dimensional note that keeps being hit over yeah. and over again. But yeah. Matt is so present in this movie, and I think that's part of what makes it so surprising when you watch it, because you feel like you're right there with him. That yeah. Every everything that's coming up is news to him, news to us, and we have no idea how this is gonna go, good, bad, or ugly. Amazing. So so let's let's get back to before uh, funny story and talk about um, you, you know your career as a filmmaker because one of the things we really like to tackle on this show is just really uh, sort of like your. Um, you know, what you've learned along the way and, and why you got into this. And, and uh, you know, I th- one of my favorite Michael Gallagher stories is, uh, I think it's the music video you did in high school. <laughs> Which one? Uh... <laughs> I think it was the one they found out, like, hey, wait, wait a minute. Is this guy, is he 18? <laughs> <laughs> is this the, uh, the Shanana one? I think like, so. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, well, when I was in high school, I you know I I've wanted to make movies since I was a little kid, uh, and actually I was just writing something. I was trying to remember like the moment that I started making videos and things, and it was actually in fourth grade. My <laughs> my fourth grade teacher offered a an assignment that was you could do a video instead of an essay because I guess you know video had started to be emerging and iMovie was a thing and. And so they just sort of offered it. And so I jumped at the chance because I hated doing cursive essays, you know. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to make a movie. So I like went and made this movie and I turned it in. And I guess everyone else in the class had just done an essay. No one else did the movie. No one else. No one else. So it was wow. just me. And I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like, you got a captive audience. <laughs> I'm in fourth grade. And I'm like, oh, no. And I like didn't show it to anyone. I didn't show it to my parents. So I had no idea how this was going to go. I'm like, oh, my God. And they're going to show it in front of the whole class. And so I started having a panic attack, but then they showed it, and it went over so well. Like, everyone laughed, and I got an A-plus on it. I never got an A-plus before. And then other kids in the class were like, hey, can we make videos together? And it was just like, immediately, I was just like hooked. It was like heroin. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm making movies. So it literally was this like weird fourth grade. So from fourth grade, your career started. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So like, but throughout all of grade school, middle school, high school, I was just making stuff. Like whenever I got my friends together, we were filming, we were, you know, writing something, we were shooting and I was cutting it together. Like that was just always making stuff. And so by the time I was in high school, I actually like started a little production company that I would go to local bands and offer services to make them like a total music video soup to nuts, you know. I'd conceive it, I'd, you know, shoot it, produce it, edit it, deliver it. By the time I was in high school, uh, I had a little production company where I would offer my services to local bands to make them a music video from like beginning to end, deliver it in HD, which at the time was like, you know. Yeah. (laughs) It was hard to do. I think I had an HVX. I was going to say it was like the Panasonic HVX. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so I, I made some pretty good money doing, like, music videos in high school for, for bands that were in their 20s or 30s or whatever. Yeah. And I, um, I met through, uh, like, a mutual friend of my parents, um, this guy Jocko from the band Sha Na Na, you know, who played at Woodstock, <laughs> the original Woodstock. And, uh, and he was looking for someone to help him make a music video for, you know, on a budget. Uh, because it was like this tie-in with P.T. Cruiser. He like somehow like did a deal with the car, P.T. Cruiser, <laughs> and uh, wanted to do a music video. And so he hired me, and I don't think he knew that I was in high school. 
<laughs> and uh, and so then I like show up with my like couple high school friends to like set it up, and we all you know look very young. And uh, I remember because they had Pat Boone, who's like this like major crooner from the fifties, who like was cameoing yeah, oh, wow. and stuff. And we were like at a PT Cruiser dealership <laughs> filming this, uh, and I think I had the XL One camera at that time, and. I think there was a moment where we were, like, getting professional, you know, everything was looking good, like, in terms of the shots, but we just looked like babies. Yeah. And they were... Like, all the equipment was professional. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I think we started getting questions, like, how old are you exactly? Are you? <laughs> I think we were, like, 15. I was, like, literally 15 years old doing this music video. So, but it, I like, aired on TV, and then after that, I got a bunch of gigs, and one of one of my music videos got on, like, MTV2. But that was, like, the goal at the time, right? It was MTV2? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I was just, like, a kid in San Diego. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was just, like, how far can I take this? I was yeah. sort of, like, addicted to, like, oh, like, can I keep going? Like, what's the what's the highest plateau we can get to? Yeah. Um, but I just did it out of the love for it. I mean, I just love making stuff, so... Yeah, I was pretty agnostic to the format, or if it was music video, commercial, anything. I would just I wanted to be part of it. Yeah, and uh, you know, um, uh, I think one of the things that we've talked about in the past was your experience with forty uh, eight hour film festivals. Yeah, and it seems like the cultural forty eight hour film festivals has had a pretty big impact on you and the way you approach a project or the um, the circumstances within a project. It really kind of gave you that foundation of. Um, not being afraid of time, which is a, you know, a huge um, obstacle in filmmaking. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, uh, there was this film festival in San Diego, again, um, that was called Best Fest, and they had a 48-hour film competition that uh, every year of high school I submitted to. And uh, it was, it, you could really track my progression as a, as a, quote, filmmaker at that point, because the first year I submitted... Uh, it was not good. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they had like 50 teams all throughout San Diego. There was a high school division and a college division. And so it was really aimed at student filmmakers. And um, yeah, there were over 50 uh, teams and they would all screen them at a, like a AMC theater in San Diego. So it was kind of a... That's cool. It was kind of cool. Yeah. You got to make this thing. Uh, you had to do it, you know, conceive of it, write it, direct it, shoot it, edit it, and then you know, give them a DVD. You actually had to burn a DVD within that time, within yeah. 48 hours. Oh, wow. So it was like kind of high pressure. And so the first year I did it, uh, it was not good. They screened it. It didn't play well. <laughs> and But I got to see all the other films and I got to see the winners and see how it worked. So then I said, okay, I'm going to take what I'm learning now and apply next year and then try and up the end. So then the next year I did it, um, our, our film won. <laughs> so it was like went from like the maybe the worst movie to we won yeah but it was through that process of you know trial and error of you know failure and trying to learn from your mistakes and then go and improve and kind of seeing what was working what wasn't working and yeah exactly yeah. and then kind of like finding your voice too of how you want to do it and I found that my voice was to you know sort of have a satirical look at the the event itself or be a little bit meta so kind of almost sketchify, if you will, ah. <laughs> like snl <laughs> Well, free uh, totally sketch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so those would uh, go over well because I was making fun of things that everyone was relating to uh -huh. in the process. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, it was, uh, but doing, making stuff that quickly, having to come up with it and produce it and then show it really, and show it publicly, not on the internet, but just, you know, to, to 
<laughs> paying an audience. Yeah. It was, um, that's a pretty daunting thing, but it really, it kind of forces you to make snap decisions to not second guess yourself and just kind of fully commit. And I think that fully commit concept has just like helped me again and again. And even now, like on set, if you're in a time crunch and you have to make a decision, it's like, I, you know, it's the same mechanism I had when I was like 14 or 15 that comes in where I say, you know, oh no, this is how it has to be. You go with your gut. You yeah. Know, you don't, um, you don't have to, you don't have time to dawdle on things. You can't really assess or over assess mm-hmm. options. Yeah, well, it's like you can, you know, because sometimes you get caught in like a, well, is it not perfect? Should I wait till something's perfect? And it's like the truth is nothing's perfect and nothing will ever be perfect. So rather than like stress about something forever, I like to just sort of put something up on its feet and try it out and, and get it out there as opposed to obsess and then maybe never actually put anything out into the world. Yeah. So, you know, I, I guess I, I'm, I'm comfortable failing publicly. <laughs> I think that also comes with it, you know? Yeah. It's like I'm willing to humiliate myself and, you know, fall flat on my face. But, but I know that even if I do that, I'm going to pick myself up again and try again because uh, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to be perfect. I'm just trying to, I'm, you know, trying to be the best that I can in that moment with the materials I have. That's, yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And so... From from there, you um, kind of got into a routine doing forty hour film festivals, and then um, I guess around that time, YouTube uh, sort of came into the picture. And how did that? You know, what was the thought process of you know maybe starting a channel or doing you know making more videos? What was your what was your plan from high school or from junior high? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well. Um... To, to date myself, uh, I guess YouTube came out like towards the end of my high school years. Like that was when YouTube was even a thing. And then I went to Loyola Marymount College and I needed a job. So I got a, a part-time job at this company called Mahalo. And um, it was a, for a web series called Mahalo Daily where we were doing sort of five days a week. You know, we'd shoot, edit, produce, and distribute um, like a web series. And it was like one of the early ones where streaming video, streaming HD video was a thing. And we would cross-distribute across iTunes podcasts off, uh, yeah, I don't try to even think, Rever, I think was a thing then. They're like Adam. Vimeo, yeah, Adam.com, Break.com, yeah. yeah. YouTube, like any, we put it everywhere. Uh-huh. And what was interesting was to track all these different streaming sites and see that YouTube, you could actually have things that would go really viral. And also they introduced the partner program at that time where you could actually make money from online video by just uploading stuff. And that was kind of a revolutionary new idea. This is pre-Google buying YouTube. This yeah. is 2008. Um, and so seeing that and watching what was working on YouTube, what wasn't, learning about uh, SEO, you know, search engine optimization of like what people are searching for, Google Trends, all that was kind of, I was just soaking all that in. And I started realizing that if I were to make my own sketch show, if I did comedy, because comedy was doing really well on YouTube, if I did my own show about the things that I cared about and that I thought were funny, that potentially I could make money if I could get views. So I took a gamble on myself and just, I quit my job and I had enough money to survive for about six months. (laughs) And I was like, I'm going to go all in on making my own (laughs) web series called Totally Sketch. And I came up with the whole thing. I got it. Made sure I could get the handle on every website, you know, on Twitter, on YouTube, on everything. And um, I had this contact at YouTube from Mahalo. 
and I told him I was starting this new site, and if you know he could make me a partner instantly, I would really appreciate it. And he did. And he took a chance on me, and so uh, luckily the first video I got a million views within a week, and so that kind of just took off. And I was making interactive content. I was making topical parodies, music video parodies. And then I would reach out to everyone in the YouTube community to say, hey, I want to offer my services as a filmmaker for you for free. All I want to do is collaborate with you. And maybe you can come in and be in a sketch on Totally Sketch. Um, because I knew at that point, like, you can't just ask for things from people, especially if you don't know them. But I, I knew that I could offer things because at that time, it was really a personality-driven website uh, where people were just turning on webcams and doing impersonations and being hilarious but it wasn't there weren't a lot of film there weren't a lot of filmmakers on youtube right that were distributing their stuff on youtube so i think i stood out as someone who was really behind the scenes writing directing producing doing stuff that looked high quality um that uh you know was getting a lot of views so i think a lot of the personalities in that world were attracted to it and wanted to be a part of it uh-huh. because essentially a lot of these guys really wanted to go and become actors or filmmakers themselves and YouTube was a platform that gave them the opportunity to get in front of a camera and yeah some people were kind of doing it as an audition for the world and then some people were just like messing around being funny and then it's like oh we got 10 million views on this <laughs> and like no maybe this is a job maybe I could do this and so it was like kind of a mixture of those people but um but yeah there was so much raw talent I think on YouTube and I just kind of was coming in and helping to shape it a little bit Gotcha. That's how, sort of how I saw myself. Yeah. And, you know, and, and continuing down the, the timeline of the Michael Gallagher filmmaking career, it seems like this was a great next step for you to just uh, kind of go one step up from a 48-hour film festival to then professionally making content and then doing that on a regimented basis of week to week and really improving uh, skills, not just in, um, you know filmmaking but also learning marketing and learning um, how to really program a channel and really kind of looking at what an audience is looking for in addition to just making content that you you know write and want to want to make yeah and um, it's funny because I always wanted to make feature films like that was always the goal you know but like being this kid in San Diego it's not it's like how do you get from where I am now to, like, make a movie? <laughs> like, it just sort of seemed like an impossible leap where, like, making short films or sketches or things, it's like, oh, I can wrap my head around that. I can shoot it in a, in a day with my friends and I can edit it and it's, like, five minutes or less and I can put that out. So, like, I could see the whole timeline where a movie just felt so big. It's like, how do you do it? Um, and just reading about, you know, people like Robert Rodriguez, like, you know, Rebel Without a Crew. I remember reading that book a lot and... And did it do that for like seven thousand? Yeah, it did for like seven thousand, and but you know it got into film festivals, and then you know Miramax saw it, and then they bought. You know, it's like, <laughs> but it's like uh, what I find is like all these filmmakers from the '90s that I was looking up to, you know, Quentin Tarantino and and Kevin Smith, and people that were just kind of going off and making stuff. All those paths only existed in that time period when they did it, and then as soon as they did that. There, that kind of goes away, and now it's like you got to find your own path. Like each person has their own unique story of how they, they got to be where they are. And so, I think when I was uh, when I was doing this, I was always with the mindset of that one day I'll I'll figure out how to make a feature, and I'll I'll make feature films. But I didn't quite know then, so I was just doing what I could with the 
resources I had and the people around me. Yeah. And I was just focusing on that and then kind of growing with everyone. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about uh, Maker Studios and how that uh, kind of came to play. And then, you know, obviously we uh, did Smiley together as our first yeah. film together. Kind <laughs> of fast forward a little bit the timeline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, just to bridge it from Totally Sketch to Maker... Um, I did, I, so one of the people I reached out to when I first started Totally Sketch was this guy, uh, Iman uh, Krelson, who's, uh, the, he was Alpha Cat on yeah. YouTube. And, um, and he did these amazing Obama impersonations. He was like the premier Obama impersonator. And he was doing like Beyonce spoofs on, you know, on a, you know with like webcams and doing like, you know, kind of janky green screen stuff, but didn't matter because he was so funny and like his singing was so great and he could just nail that voice that it was like you know these videos were going crazy viral i was like i gotta work with this guy and i was like he needs a cool video like he needs a really cool like produced music video so i literally just cold emailed him (laughs) you know because most people would put up like some business email or something right yeah and so i just cold emailed him and i said hey uh, I'm, you don't know me, I'm this filmmaker guy, here's some of my work, so I posted some music videos that I've been a part of, and, and they all looked really good, and I said, look, I just started a YouTube channel, I want to produce a, you know, music video parody with you, I want to help you write it, I want to direct it, and I want to just give it to you, you don't have to pay me any money, um, and here's even the, here's the first draft of a uh, lyrics, and, I, and there was a song by Jamie Foxx called Blame It On Me, Alcohol, that was big at the time, that oh, just yeah. come out. And so I wrote a parody called Blame It On The Economy, <laughs> you know, because that's what you do when you, thank you, Weird Al, for <laughs> teaching me how to do this. Um, and so uh, I wrote kind of like a, a first draft, rough draft of like a song parody for the song, and I sent it to him with some links to my stuff. And he got back to me and he said, yeah, let's do it. And then when we, so I, I was like, okay, we're going to make this the most kick-ass music video parody of all time. So I called in like every favor, you know, Jana um, had contacts at this nightclub. I got a nightclub location for free. I, I got, uh, you know, all my friends to be the crew. I had, um, you know, some Kino Flow lights that I rented. I had, uh, you know, I, I got, I just pulled out all the stops to make this thing happen. And then he was like, oh, do you need people to be in the video? He's like, I know this this cool um, actress, uh, Lisa Nova, who could play Sarah Palin. I'm going to see if she'll cameo. And then I'll, you know, get some other people to cameo, like Tezande and things. <laughs> and so we were, like, getting this group together, and we made this music video, and everyone from the YouTube world that came to cameo showed up, and it was, like, a legit music video production. <laughs> it was, like, it felt like a Hollywood set, because we had, I had all my crew, I had, you know, big lights, you know, everything looked awesome, you know, monitors for playback. Like, this was not the typical YouTube set. <laughs> and so everyone kind of was like, oh, you do this? So I got it like a really nice intro with a lot of the top YouTubers at the time, Lisa being one of them. And Lisa was there with uh, Dan Zappin and her brother Ben Donovan. And that, that's the moment when they were actually just starting to cook up this idea of like getting all the top creators on YouTube to right. come together and, and make this sort of super channel, the station. And then, you know, which led to Maker Studios. And so from that music video shoot, Dan Zappin like called me the next week. It's like, hey man, like let's get together. I gotta tell you about this thing. So he told me about Maker. He like we went to a Starbucks and he told me the whole plan of like this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna get all these people together. Like, do you want to be a part of it? Do you want to help like create this thing? And so uh, it was, but it, but it meant he was offering me a job position and also like the ability to like help, you know, kind of help found this company. And so I had to make a tough decision because it meant 
my weekly show, Totally Sketch, that I had been, like, four months into, I had to put on pause to really, like, go all in on Maker. Oh, right, because you were, at the time, editing for the station. Yeah, well, at that time, I hadn't. I was just doing Totally Sketch, like, 24-7. Like, that was my... No, 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 but uh, when you went to Maker, Mm -hmm. you were contributing towards their content. Yeah, well, well, they wanted me to come in and direct and write and produce and, and, you know, help come up with ideas and do branded content and work with the talent and just, like, shape it and just be, you know... Put your focus on... Be a full-time employee, basically, and and do this. And, you know, because it was almost like a hey, we're all, like, dropping out of society to come do this. It felt like a, like, almost like a commune or something. I was like, hey, everyone's going to stop kind of what they're doing and come be a part of this and, and go all in. Yeah. And so uh, it was a big commitment. He was asking for a big commitment. And so I remember that was a, a it was like, this sounds too good to be true, uh, but it's a lot, it's a big commitment and it's a big leap of faith. But I, I don't know, I just felt it. Like, it was one of those ideas and the amount, and the people that were involved, too, because at the time it was, you know, the titans of YouTube. It was, uh, you know, Phil DeFranco and Shane Dawson and Dave Days and Lisa Nova and um, Kasim G and Shay Carl. And, you know, it was just, like, everyone who was the top most subscribed, millions of views, like, you know, and this was early, early YouTube days. This is, like, early 2009. Yeah. So this was like the, you know, kind of the Illuminati of <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. So I like went from being, uh, you know, just this guy, you know, making videos with some friends to all of a sudden I'm sitting with like the top creators and we're like, what are we going to call this thing? What's our first video going to be? <laughs> like it just sort of, and then, you know, over the years it kind of evolved into Maker Studios and, and rather than us all trying to contribute and make things for one channel, it was really about empowering creators to help make content for their own channels and that's when it really blew up and blossomed and, and was there ever a level where you're like this is really taken away from my my goal of making feature films or how did that affect you in terms of as a filmmaker uh you know well i think objective well youtube was so new and the idea of taking it seriously and like going all in on it was so new that i i kind of wanted to just see where it was going to lead to i didn't really i didn't really know i mean it wasn't no one had done it. It wasn't like, oh, people had already become YouTube stars and gotten this deal or made this much money or had this opportunity. Like, none of that had happened yet. So there was no lit path to follow. This was like us with a machete in the woods, <laughs> cutting it down, being like, we are creating a new path. Yeah. And that was exciting. So to be a part of something that was like, we are shaping um, a platform felt really cool and scary. But um, so I was just kind of, I always look at things in six months terms of like, can I commit to this for six months? And then I reevaluated that six month period and say, do I want to re up? Do I want to keep going down that path? Or do I want to change things? And so with, uh, with totally sketch, I gave myself six months and then a few months into that, I got this great opportunity with maker. So then I was like, okay, now I'm going to give maker six months. And then I go into that and it's like, yep, this is great. And then I renew and I keep going. And that's just, that's the way that I don't get daunted by things because Sometimes it's like you make a decision and you feel like, oh, this is my whole life. This is everything. Yeah. But if you think of it in like smaller periods of time, it's almost, it can be more empowering because then it gives you the juice of like, I'm going to go all in for six months and see what happens. Yeah. It's not like an end all be all. It's like the worst case, I just dedicated six months to my life. I'm not indefinitely going down this road until something happens. Exactly. So, so I kind of, you know, my, I think uh, like a lot of 
filmmakers. Um, you know, or I think Orson Welles had his first movie at twenty five. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, okay, as long as I can like get around there and make a film by then, I'll be fine. So I that was my like long term clock because I was nineteen or twenty when I joined when I was like being part of Maker. So I was pretty young, so I was like, okay, I have five years. <laughs> this artificial, this crazy artificial timeline to make a movie. But yeah, so I was like, okay, I really want to do it by 25. So um, so yeah, that's actually where we met. So you came on to Maker Studios. You were the, the head of production, right? Yeah, so I uh, did a film, uh, Some Guy Who Kills People. Which I love, which is a great movie. Thank you. People Thank should you. go see it. It's now available on Amazon Prime. Yes, get it. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I moved out to L.A. Uh, and didn't go to film school, but right off the bat, I was on Craigslist looking for, you know, film opportunities. So I sort of came up as uh, yeah, me too. a production manager. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, that was actually like a legit place to find work. Oh, yeah, the crew, yeah, the crew section was really... <laughs> now weird. it always sounds kind of like Craigslist. What? It's like, I met so many great people through Craigslist and like great opportunities. I got my job at Mahalo through Craigslist. I met Nikki Limo as an actress through Craigslist. And it's like, you know, so many opportunities. There was a wedding that happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nikki and Steve would not be married if uh, people hadn't been on Craigslist. Yeah. <laughs> So I remember, uh, ironically, I, I felt like the exact opposite of you, mm. because I just had Sophie, my my oldest kid, mm. and it, in two thousand nine, and I saw an opportunity on Craigslist to produce uh, ten to thirty videos a week, and I was like, "Wow, it's awesome! I would <laughs> love to do that." And uh, and then I met with the Fine Brothers, who were running Maker Studios at the time, and. Um, I got the job, and once I started the job, I was like, God, this sucks. I was like, how did I end up working so hard to build this film career, uh, and now I'm just on YouTube, and like, who the hell is even watching YouTube? Why am I here? And I would get so frustrated over arguing over uploads, or having development meetings yeah. over YouTube videos, that it wasn't something I ever really got. I can see how that would be really frustrating, especially in like what two thousand nine to two thousand ten. Like it was yeah. early days. Yeah, yeah. I did so. not have the vision. <laughs> um, but I, but I think one thing uh, per, for me was I was always angling to try to get back into film, and mm -hmm. it just was kind of like a perfect storm because Glasgow and yourself, we all kind of had a, a burning desire to do a film, and we somehow landed on. Uh, I did it for the lols. <laughs> <laughs> Which was the uh, original title for Smiley. Yes. <laughs> for those listening. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I remember, you know, meeting with you and you're, you know, you were sort of a, an aloof figure to me because most, you know, working as the head of production, it was my responsibility to um, make sure that all the equipment resources or production resources were provided to the channels, yeah. also creatively like helping book talent or find uh, a location, and you were like this one creator that was like would never return my phone calls, never needed anything, <laughs> wasn't interested in having a development meeting with me to figure out how we can kind of increase you know content on your channel, and you know I kind of wrote you off as like maybe he exists. Maybe he doesn't exist. <laughs> I'm a figment. <laughs> and the second I said feature film, it was like the next day you, we had a meeting together. Yeah, yeah, that was the light bulb, I think. Yeah, because I was, um, I think before Maker, I was pretty self-sufficient in making content. So 
I, it wasn't something that for a while I didn't really lean on for production resources or things because I had my own equipment, I had crew, I had all kinds of stuff. And, you know, um, so I think that wasn't as intriguing. But I think once there was like a little interest at Maker of like, oh, maybe we can make our own movies and, you know, distribute them, that was really exciting to me. And so uh, I think what had happened was there was like maybe an internal meeting at Maker saying like, yeah, we're interested in making movies. And then Glasgow had this idea for doing a sort of urban legend on the internet of this uh, this killer who would um, sort of haunt these kids through... Uh, Smiling. <laughs> <laughs> through, I think it was like chat roulette at the time. It was yeah. a big thing. And it was like it just come out where people could like anonymously video chat with each other. And kids were doing it all over. It was like, oh, this is like a hotbed for <laughs> disaster to strike. <laughs> so we should make a horror movie about it. And so he just wrote this draft in like, I don't know, a few weeks or something. And then I remember he emailed me and he was like, I just wrote your first feature film. And he like sent it to me. And uh, I read it and I was like, oh, that was really good. <laughs> it's like, you get an email like that and you're like, uh-huh, sure, thanks, man. Uh, but I read it like right away and I thought it was great. And and you read it and really connected with it too. And we were just like, the three of us were so jazzed. And, and I remember at that meeting on the, on the couch by the window... Yeah. We were like, let's all make this movie. We all agreed to it. And yeah. in the back of my head, I was like, how the fuck are we going to fund this thing? <laughs> <laughs> this is all well and great, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, if, if Maker's not going to fund it, how are we going to get this thing funded? Yeah. And so... Because Maker was going... They were flirting with doing it. And then I think ultimately they, ultimately they said, you know, our business is really to do short form. We're not quite ready to do features. Right. And so they said, we're going to let you guys go go with God on this one. <laughs> and so I think... What we what did we do? We took it around and we were trying to raise money. I think we had some meetings. We had some investors that yeah. were interested. We were trying to go... We were trying to do, kind of go a traditional route with like... Yeah. Get like... I think... We were talking to Hillary Duff's people about trying to get her yeah, attached, uh-huh. and I, you know, I think we knew an investor we were trying to uh, approach, and it was, was a, it was a crazy to... it was a crazy idea though because we were um, we were going to people and saying yeah we're gonna make this horror movie starring YouTube stars <laughs> hello. 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 <laughs> and it was like, nobody really knew what a YouTube star was then, or, you know, like, YouTube in general was confusing, and the idea of, like, oh, like, people want to watch them act? Can they act? Like, there were just so many, like, question mark, question mark, question mark. Like, yeah. people just, it didn't, it didn't click yet. It wasn't a thing yet. Right. We were, like, going to do the first one. Yeah. So, yeah. whenever you try and do the first of something people uh, I think are just hesitant or you know they want to look at a model and say oh this was successful we're gonna follow that path um so we were trying to create a new path and I think that that was like scary to people or I don't know they just didn't necessarily see the dollar signs or something right and it it couldn't really make sense for them someone who's on a YouTube platform to then go and make a movie yeah because I never made a feature before too so it was not like I had a track record you as a producer did and Glasgow had you know made some films and he was a writer on South Park so so that was good but I was just sort of an unknown I was a big question mark and then our cast was a big question mark <laughs> um, but people liked the script so that was like our saving grace is like you know we attracted you know great actors and we got um, you know like a lot of interest I think just from the script but the way we wanted to do it was um, was holding people up I think yeah uh, and then I remember we had this one moment where uh, you were like, I'll fund it. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, how is that possible? <laughs> and I was like, your parents are going to help out with this? And you're like, no. And I was like, wait a minute, you have the money to make this? And you're like, 
you know, I've been saving up from you know the success of my channel. I haven't. I was yeah. like, and then I was like, wait a minute, he's made enough on YouTube, then fund it. I was like, how is that? And it was one of the greatest. It was like this yeah. sense of like, not with relief, excitement, opportunity, yeah. where it was just too good to be true. And I remember going home doing the budget that night. I think the next morning, yeah. I had a budget with that figure. I was like, if you're serious, I'm serious. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it was at that point where I had saved up and I was, I don't know, I just lived, I guess, so, somewhat frugally. Like, I don't, you know, I, I had never taken a vacation. I had, you know, like, I don't make crazy purchases. I just slept put, outside. Slept outside. <laughs> I slept at bus stop. Um, but no, I, I like put all everything I had into Totally Sketch and into, you know, making things. So it was only a natural progression of, like, I had done maybe 100 YouTube videos that I said, okay, well, I've been investing in just, like, funding these and getting these out there. Why don't I just instead, like, instead of doing a next 100 videos, why don't I put that into a movie? Mm -hmm. That was sort of my thought process. Like, yeah. And it was also, at that point, it felt like, well, if I don't bet on myself, who's going to bet on me? Like, I have to be the one who believes in me to, to convince other people that I'm worth that. So, I don't know, it was just like a mix of, you know, being frustrated that people didn't want to finance it yet and that I was really eager to make a movie and we had this great project that was, like, ready to go. And I think we were, like, a year in on, like, talking about it, pitching it, and I had, like, storyboarded it and, like, thought about it so much that I was, like... If we don't make this now, I'm gonna go crazy. <laughs> it was like we either need to make this right now or never talk about it. Again. <laughs> I remember, I you know, once we started of like had the funds, had the budget, made the decision to go. I as a producer felt like I had this great story yeah. of this young nineteen year old, twenty year old kid who self financing his first movie, and you know, it's something he's really passionate about. It's really good. And we want you to get behind it. And I think a lot of actors and a lot of, you know, artists really connected to the idea of, like, if you have the ability to go out and make something, then I, I want to support that. Yeah. And, I'm, you know, if I'm really into it. And a lot of people were really into it. And we got some great people. Yeah. And just to be clear, like, we made this movie for under $200,000. Like, it was yeah. a micro budget. Over the course <laughs> of, like, three years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yeah. it was like, let's go do this thing. And, um... Yeah, I was just so surprised with, like, the caliber of, of cast and crew, like, Nicola Marsh, who yeah. is, like, this incredible DP. Oscar-winning DP. I yeah. know. She yeah. did um, uh, 20 Feet from Stardom, uh -huh. and just she's just, like, absolutely incredible. But, um, yeah, she was our DP, and then we got Dave Porter to do the music, who mm -hmm. was the composer oh, Breaking of Bad. Breaking Bad. Yeah. Uh, and it was just, like, we got all these just, like, amazing uh, talent. You know, Roger Barr, this Tony-winning actor, to show up. Come Keith in. David. Yeah. <laughs> and we had Shane Dawson. And he yeah. was, you know. And Shane Dawson, who was big on YouTube but hadn't done, it was his first feature. Um, and he loved horror movies and things. And we'd collaborated a bit. And, uh, and I think he was a little scared to do it, but then he was also excited. But it was, like, this weird mix of, like, Wait, you're just going off and making a movie? Like, <laughs> are you allowed to do that? <laughs> like, yes, Shane, come on, it'll be fun. Um, what were some of the things that, like, you know, obviously, like, uh, enlisting this conversation, like, at 14, doing music videos, yeah. 40 hour film festival, <laughs> totally sketch, and then now that you're on your first feature film set, before you're allowed to drink, yeah. a legal age drink, yeah. you're running a whole film set. And, <laughs> financing on yeah. what was the challenge involved as a filmmaker to um, 
to really make that, you know, everything you wanted it to be? Well, I just remember saying to myself that if I think of each scene as, like, a sketch, then I won't get overwhelmed. Like, if I think of each scene as its own contained entity, then I think I can, I can do this. Because the idea at that point of trying to think about the movie as a whole or, you know, 110 scenes or something, I, I, it just kind of broke my brain. Yeah. Um, now it's fine. <laughs> and like having gone through it a few times and made films, it's uh, it actually is not that hard to map out a whole film. But at that moment for Smiley, it was like I need to just take this scene by scene and think about what's the intention of the scene, what are the goals of each scene, what are the characters trying to convey, and just focus on that in that moment and think about it like th- you know just take it step by step. Yeah. And so that that really put me at ease in making it. And what I found making Smiley was that surprisingly the YouTube training and the short films 48 hours all of that made making a movie with a full crew with like what I don't know we had 30 people 35 people or something but to me that's huge because on YouTube I'm used you didn't have first team I'm used to two people (laughs) I'm used to running sound I'm used to like shooting it and editing it and like being a script soup and being like doing everything you know and so I I was used to very, you know, run and gun stuff. And so the idea that, like, people would bring me a water bottle and, like, set up the chairs and <laughs> put a monitor in front, I was like, what? I don't have to do all this. Like, it kind of, I don't know, it was, like, discombobulating almost. Like, I felt like a sultan or a king or something. <laughs> and this is, like, a really low-budget, like, you know, movie. But, but still, I was used to having to be all hands on deck all the time, every moment. Right. And now it's like there are specialists working on every department who are, you know, taking the script and running with it. And and it's like, it's really about the collaboration. Mm-hmm. So that was my first time really collaborating with heads of department, with, you know, uh, you know trying to, to get everyone on the same page to make the same movie. And so that was the, was, was both a joy, but it was also my first time doing it. So... I didn't know how, I didn't know the power of pre-production and being able to convey the vision to everyone. And I think with each subsequent movie, I've gotten better about communicating the vision, being really specific with what I want as early on as possible, so that by the time we're on set, by the time we're making it, everything is exactly the way I would hope it would be. Yeah. Where, where on Smiley, I was kind. Of, I'm so used to like making do that I was just kind of like making do with you know, whatever elements, if we didn't have something, it's like, it's okay, I'll come up with a new idea of how to fix it or something. And so I was just always like, can do, can do, um, which is great. And I think, and I'm really proud of the movie, but, but I think like that, taking that experience from just being so lo-fi to actually working with professionals to, to make a, uh, you know, cohesive film, that was the, that was a little uh, daunting to me to think that, oh, I can actually just tell people what I want and they'll do it. <laughs> like, just that simple idea of, like, I get to say what I want and people will will give me that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not used to it. Well, it's a really tricky thing, too, because I've, I've worked with directors that have difficult times articulating their thoughts or really conveying ideas to department heads. And it almost becomes a vacuum where other people will start contributing their ideas and it sort of marginalizes uh, their position as a director because they aren't really voicing their vision uh, clearly enough. And so if you don't have that, it actually works against you in some ways. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, and I've known you for quite some time now, it's, it's been cool to see you from Smiley being like, 
what the fuck to just owning it and knowing exactly what you want, why something will work or why something won't work and really being able to convey those thoughts. And it's, it's been a really kind of a cool process. Well, it's funny because like on Smiley, I didn't realize that, you know, if you got a, a location that had all white walls that it, unless you say we're going to paint it or we're going to add things to the walls that it's just going to be all white walls. <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't have that disconnect. I had yeah. that, like a disconnect of that, of like, an, in terms of like the art design, the production design of like, Oh, you know, it's really, you, you want to solve these problems as early on as possible so that when you show up, it's not like, Oh, we're just going to change a color gel and do something. It's like, no, you really have to plan this ahead of time if you want it, if you want it different. Yeah. Otherwise you're going to be, you know, dealt this hand and you're either going to play it or I don't know, you're not going to shoot the scene. Yeah. Cause a lot of that is, uh, dependent upon time and it's like yeah. time and money. It's like, you know, how much do you have to spend on a location and how much time do you have to find that location? Yeah. And I yeah. think I also at that time had this like weird vision of, Oh, because we're shooting it on the red camera, everything's just going to look like a movie because we have this equipment. But really, it's like, it's not about the equipment, it's about how you tell the story with the equipment. You know, yeah. it's like, because it, it, you can have the shittiest camera, you can shoot on an iPhone, which isn't a shitty camera, but but you can shoot on an iPhone and make something look incredible, or like crap, but it's really about the people behind it, and the vision behind it. Um, so, it all kind of comes, I really learned about the power of, of pre-production and planning and working with the team yeah that was my biggest learning curve and i think throughout the film i got better at, at that process but, yeah but it was my first time and i was just like jumping in and i was paying for it so the idea of like oh if something wasn't right i wasn't like oh i just you know i'm gonna spend a lot more money to fix it it was like no i'll work with what i have and, and do the best i can to make the day <laughs> i was like obsessed with making the day well, I remember you were obsessed with also uh, getting the most out of the day. Yeah, like absolutely. We, we finished the last shot like a, with like a half hour early. Nope. Um, <laughs> what else can we shoot? What else can we shoot? <laughs> Let's get it. Come on, guys. No one's going home early. <laughs> I didn't realize that like, hey, everyone wants to go home. <laughs> I thought everyone wanted to keep making the movie. So that was I just remember one day we finished early uh, in Citrus College. And we needed a salvage shot of maybe it was Ashley's house yeah. or something. And you're like, all right, there's a neighborhood across the street. Worms are. Go knock on doors. I'll be out front with the camera. See if they're cool shooting their establishing shot. We'll roll it. And then, you know. <laughs> so, you know, be the young, naive, ambitious producer I am. I listen to that. I just knock on doors. And I think there was one guy that's like, I have a gun. And I was like... Okay, so if, even if you have a gun, is it okay if we film just the outside? You don't have to come out. <laughs> I forgot about that. I'm, I'd like to form. I'd like to take this opportunity to formally apologize about that. I'm just oh, glad I, you know, I have lived to tell about it. <laughs> I forgot all about that. That is so funny. Yeah, I think we ended up uh, using my house or something. Yeah, I think. Yeah. We did. <laughs> It's always our backup. I was like, "Well, warms you couldn't produce a house right away, so let's go to your place." <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah, yeah. No, but like, I would say Smiley really was uh, my film school, like through and through. Like working with you was so great, and I mean, the collaborators involved, and then not only that, but like taking it all the way to the finish line, like from beginning of development to distribution like we distributed it ourselves we did this deal with amc independent to get it into 20 theaters in 14 markets <laughs> and then have to do an outdoor marketing campaign and raise the money and like 
throw a premiere and do all this stuff. And well, what's crazy it was we threw a date out there. It was a, a <laughs> yeah. 11, uh, 10, uh, 10, 11, 12. 10, 11, 12. And we're like, perfect, 10, 11, 12. <laughs> and we just, uh, you know, threw that date out there, the AMC theaters, and we left that meeting like, oh, we got a date, we're going there. <laughs> and they said yes. <laughs> yes, and I'm like, fuck, we're the distributors. Yeah, that's like four <laughs> what months do we do? away. <laughs> oh, my God. What do we do? Uh, is there a book about this? <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, so that was that was a really cool process to um, to kind of just jump in and, and figure it out and just know that the movie's coming no matter what and this date and we got to work backwards from there. Yeah, and so and that's what we did and and that process I think for everything moving forward has has given me so much more confidence in knowing how things work and how uh, and how if you want to do something you can just go do it like there's no yeah. you know if you. If you want to get start a, a podcast, if you want to start a podcast, you can just go do it. If you want to get a billboard or billboards in LA and New York and Texas and whatever, you can call a company and make that happen. Yeah, like there's not so, like we we build all these like big obstacles and roadblocks in our minds, but if you just sort of if you if you almost play like you're a kid and say what are we trying to do, and then think how how does that work? You just do a little research, you start calling people, and before you know it, it's like you can make anything happen. Yeah. And so that that's a really empowering concept that I've, I always, whenever I get stuck or frustrated or scared, I think about that, and it like keeps me going, and I keep pushing forward. Yeah, I remember one of the greatest moments in that time period, we uh, had to submit the film to the MPA. And oh, the MPAA, yeah, and, yeah. and get it approved for outdoor marketing or for uh, the you know, yeah, we were like, Oh, this is gonna be slam dunk Halloween horror movie. We got the smiley mask, it's the scariest thing anyone's ever seen. Like, we're in some blast that face everywhere, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and they said no, they said it's too terrifying. Like, literally, we only got an R rating, we cut out all the curse words, we cut out all the blood. They wouldn't give us a PG 13 because they said the face was so horrific that uh, it's an immediate R. It doesn't matter, it, like, if, if you show Smiley in a church praying <laughs> or, like, playing skip bow or, you know, go fish with a grandma. It doesn't matter how mundane the scenes are. We will not give you a PG-13. <laughs> it was, like, definitive. And then even for the advertising, they said you can't show that face. You can't the show the face out. <laughs> We're like, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> we have a release date. We have this movie. We're two weeks away. <laughs> but I, I, maybe it was you. I don't know what happened. Or our, our, oh, our guy that yeah, came up yeah. with the inverse idea. Oh, yeah. We flipped it. We made it black and white. We made it, like... Uh, a negative image. Negative image. And yeah. it was like the most genius, brilliant thing that, you know, I remember just like jumping up and down in my backyard. <laughs> well, when they finally approved when, it. When they approved that. Because yeah, we went through like six different designs with our poster uh, guy and, Dan, you know, he, yeah, Dan uh, Eckhoff. And, uh, and we just did all these different like, you know, these different looks. And we did a photo shoot and we were like, less blood, you know, less stitches, less, <laughs> like more shadow. <laughs> more shadow. It's all black. It's just a black poster. Yeah. Can we get it approved? Like they wouldn't approve anything. But then finally we did this inverse thing and then that, they finally said yes. And then within days we had that you blast, know, all, blast on all of our billboards and, yeah. what, you know, um, crazy oh show. Yeah. But that was like an obstacle we never thought was going to come up. Right. Like, exactly. oh, we can't show the title character in our advertising. <laughs> what? <laughs> It's absurd. <laughs> and we also made the film with the idea of bringing it to a PG-13 
PG thirteen yeah. audience. Well, we yeah, I think if if I had gone in and wanted to make a real like R rated movie, I think I would have directed it and shot it and done it much differently. Uh, right. I was aiming it for the young adult audience, the people that were watching us on YouTube, who were primarily like high schoolers, and so I wanted it to be uh, you know PG thirteen. I wanted as many people to see it as possible. Yeah. So it uh, it was a little upsetting because then we released this kind of like sort of what I would call a very soft R-rated horror movie where the <laughs> audience for it... called cuddle horror? <laughs> <laughs> it's totally cuddle horror. Uh, but, like, you can watch it, I think, with an infant and be fine. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, no... There we... may not be any blood in the movie, except for, like, one dream sequence. <laughs> I tried to put back in as much as we could yeah. for, the, for the release, yeah. but... Yeah, it was a... Uh, yeah, it, we learned a lot of lessons. It was a lot of lessons being learned. And, it, you know, it was a successful film. Yeah, it was. It, you know. Um, and then, you know, because we don't have all day, because we, we can yeah. talk for years. I say, we're an hour nine. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> uh, one thing I really wanted to touch on is uh, is your fiance Jana. Yeah. And what an integral part she's played. Uh, I think after Smiley, uh, some of our, our later projects, she was at Chapman University. And the uh, network that she had, neither one of us went to film school. We were both kind of like Craigslist rats. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I'd come up through YouTube and friends and things, but like I went to LMU for a semester and dropped out when, I, when Hollow and Totally Sketch and stuff was going. So I just kind of went all in on just making my own content. But Jana went to film school. She went to Chapman, and she has this incredible network, and she produced a feature film when she was 19 called Your Friends that got at the Slam Dance and played the film festival circuit and, and you know, sold it and everything. And she was just like this kind of like young mega producer. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think things really started clicking for all of our careers when the three of us got together and, and created Cinemand. Yeah. And, you know, kind of created this production entity where we were going to pool our resources together and, and produce not only digital content and, uh, you know, web series and things, but also feature films and um, you know just kind of grow together yeah and I feel like as soon as we joined like we got two movies greenlit we got series greenlit we were like producing stuff for you know Jimmy Tatro and Shane Dawson like high-end series stuff and one for Dolby yeah, yeah exactly it was like everything was kind of clicking in it was like our resources combined and Jana yeah she had this amazing kind of uh, crew uh, you know DP Greg Cotton and and you know his entire um, you know ACs, Brian White, and you know Arjun, all these different department heads, that uh, Gaffer Extraordinaire, like all kind of young prodigies in their own right. Oh my God, everyone is so talented and so cool and so nice, and uh -huh. all our age. Um, and so what was nice about it is like on Smiley, the everyone was new. I didn't know anyone other than Wormser. And so it was like, I was the youngest person by 20 years, I think. <laughs> I think you were younger than the PAs. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, and so that was an alienating kind of experience in that way, because I felt like an outsider on my own set. And, but from doing these sort of you know commercials and branded stuff with this Chapman crew, we really bonded. And so when we were then going to make our next features, you know, with Internet Famous and The Thinning, we, you know, rather than try and like, reach out to other, you know, you know, new DPs or new production designers, like, no, let's work with the people we've been doing these kick-ass shorts with. And all and grow together. Let's grow together. And that, um, I think that was a really pivotal turning point for us because mm -hmm. uh, the shorthand was there with our crew. Everyone was so excited and wanted to prove themselves. And they were coming from that, like, we're going to prove ourselves energy as opposed to 
Um, I'll do oh, your favor. I'm so over it. Yeah. Like, I've yeah. worked on 150 sets like, I'll do in the last it, but year. You can't use a three ton. I need a five ton. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They're not necessarily can do attitude. And so our our team, um, everyone, you know, Carly Engelbrecht, production designer, and just everyone was so um, was so all in. And yeah. that spirit excited me and gave me ideas, and everyone was kind of building this thing together. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, outside of Chapman, there were a few one-offs, like uh, Devin Weissman, we kind of met along the way. And, yeah, um, and she's some incredible. These, yeah, and some she's of these been with us on every film since. And yeah. we've really worked hard to build up this, like, family of crew. And to bring it back to Funny Story, uh, that was sort of our uh, culmination of this, like, you know, A-list magical crew that was our family and uh and you know it was also something that you uh self-financed self-financed again (laughs) (laughs) but this time you went into it with uh with a team that you've really grown together you're really close with and we were just so primed to go out and make something incredible and i think you were at the place in your career where you've had this experience you're ready to just like output it onto something uh, cinematic yeah. and great and and that was it's a funny story to all of us it's sort of a culmination of all of this and so even outside of being a great film it's a great and there's so much love and there's so much you know uh, amongst the crew that a lot of people say it shows within the film yeah well um, it's funny because a lot of the things that we make and, and you know people are, are making especially on the indie side is like we're, everyone's trying to prove something everyone's trying to like grow and and you know maybe it's like oh we're gonna make an indie and we're gonna make a ton of money and we're gonna make it for a low amount of money or something and it's like an Oscar. we're gonna win an Oscar uh, and it's like you know there's but there's a lot of things that are made at a lower budget that seem almost more like a product than they seem like it's like a story that the people are dying to tell and so this, you know, funny story came from a really pure place. It came from a place of this movie is really important to me. And it's something that I'm not making because I see dollar signs. Because, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not aiming for that. What I see is I see a, a story and characters that I think will really resonate. And, and it's something that I feel really strongly about and really passionate about. And I think that pure intention got it, it came through in the script it came through in the casting and the crew and everyone around it i think was inspired by oh we're going to just make the best movie possible we're not thinking about results in any way we're just going to be pure filmmakers and storytellers here and go do this and i think that spirit like from day one just made it a completely unique experience because everyone was going in because they wanted to be there they loved the movie uh, you know and they loved the potential of the movie and then everything about it was clicking in. The actors' performances, Greg Cotton cinematography, um, the production design by Carly Engelbrecht. It's like everything about it was just like clicking in. Everyone was excited and, and, and empowered, and we were shooting in Topanga Canyon and, you know, up and down the California coast, and it was just like, you know, it was such a joyous, like, yeah, experience. We weren't doing many night shoots. It was like... <laughs> <laughs> we were in the same location for eight days. Yeah, uh, it's like... To the, start filming. Yeah, and... I don't know. Albeit no cell phone service. <laughs> yeah. And it's like a predominantly like female cast, you know, which is something you don't necessarily see that often. And, um, you know, the, the humor, it's not um, kind of like lowest common denominator. It's kind of more nuanced and, you know, moment driven and, uh, and character driven. And so 
I, I just think like that combination of, of factors, everyone was just, uh, I mean, it felt like going to summer camp. Yeah, and you could feel it. Well, yeah. kind of sad, just the energy. Everyone was so excited to be there and decided to like participate in making the story and, you know, really uh, happy to just be working with each other. And yeah. it felt, yeah, it had that summer camp feel. And I think we also have learned how to treat each other through the process of making movies because some sets you go on to and it feels like a job. It yeah. feels like we're just clocking in, clocking out, we're getting it done, we're being treated like shit and it's just, that's how it is. But we have taken a conscious, different approach as Cineman and really I think led by Jana who treats everyone like family and that's what we try and do is treat everyone like family, care about everyone and, and listen and we don't dictate terms, we just we try and collaborate at every turn and I think the listening and being there for each other really creates a trust and creates a connection that's much deeper than if you just hire somebody and um, you know tell well, it, think, and, and then yell at them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that comes from Jan, but it also I think it comes from you in terms of having a curiosity or an interest in what uh, you know anyone on set that their thought is or their opinion or and really giving them a platform to to be creative. Oh yeah, I'm all about best idea wins, and I, you know, I, I will take suggestions, ideas from anyone around. That if we're trying to make the movie better, that's that's all I care about. Yeah. And um, and you know, ideas come from the craziest places, and you know, the most unique moments. I feel like everyone contributed. You know, in in different ways, like whether it was you know Jacks, you know, in costume design, like coming up with like little intricacies of you know Jana's costume or Emily's costume, and. You know, um, I don't know, Carly, you know, saying like, hey, I think uh, for this wedding scene, we should have all these candles here and like just really, I don't know, just like kind of take it to the next level. Uh, like, I feel like there were all these little touches throughout that, um, I don't know, they just kept elevating it. Yeah. 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 I, I remember just like uh, with Jana uh, playing the character Nick, we put glasses on. That meant, all right, I'm not going to have a producer conversation with her. <laughs> yeah, the glasses were off. <laughs> I'm like, all right, here's what we're looking at. Like, uh, catering is going over. Uh, well, here's what we should do. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, Jana, who not only produced uh, Funny Story with Wormser and myself, but also acted. She was one of the lead characters. Um, played Matt, Matt Walter's daughter, Matt Glaive's daughter. And, uh, yeah, so it was funny because Matt tells the story of, like, She'd be in the makeup chair signing checks, <laughs> getting ready for like her next emotional scene, and then action go right in. Yeah. And so it was, yeah, it was kind of balancing that. I think, yeah. You know, because Janet played supporting roles in the other films, but this was the lead, and so she was really, you know, she was in most every scene. So. Yeah, and she did a great job just balancing both roles. Yeah, just the stuff you never even see on Thank camera. Thank God for the glasses. It was like it was like lights <laughs> a on visual, studio, a visual cue <laughs> yeah. behind the scenes. Yeah, I know. Just to think like how much she was working on behind the scenes, and then the amazing performance she gave. It's like unbelievable. it's unbelievable. <laughs> I, know, I could never do that. I I had a walk on role <laughs> as karaoke host. And I did learn my lines, and uh, I sued the production. <laughs> yeah, but you made it in the movie. I made it. I made it in the final cut. That's the integral role. <laughs> really sews the whole thing together. Yeah. <laughs> well, we could talk for days. I let me see. I think we're at four hours now. Okay. Yeah. Um. How are we doing? Oh, hour and eleven minutes. Hour and eleven. It's not bad for a podcast, huh? One one one. There you go. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I'm big into numerology. Yeah, that's, that. <laughs> that's how you pick out your release dates. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of release dates, funny story, funny May 24th. Story, May 24th, 52419. There you go. There you go. Add those up. And you get That's a, funny story. a special code. <laughs> Text that number. <laughs> you may get a funny story t-shirt. <laughs> That's really funny. Well, yeah. thank you very much. It's been such an honor to have one of my best friends and collaborators and longtime uh, inspiration, Michael J. Gallagher, director extraordinaire. And this has been another episode of Tales from the Ha <laughs> ha